The following audio is from Central Christian Church located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. So we raise a hallelujah this morning. One voice together, amen.
of our enemies, Father. Father, you prepare a table for us. Lord, may we, may we come before you.
when I feel faint uh, that I come back to the heart of worship that I know that that's my entryway into the Father. I'd like for you to imagine, um, close your eyes if you would, um, imagine uh, a world with no Bible, no hymns, no praise and worship songs, no podcasts to help you learn more about God. All you have is the knowledge of the one true God, the creator of the universe and all things, and the knowledge of your sins and your darkness. And then um, Max Lucado has provided us this wonderful picture of this conversation with this angel. Um, and so I'm going to read this. Um, and you can open your eyes. So um, I just wanted you to kind of picture that word, world real quick. So he's, he's talked about this world if we've chosen um, this world based on the good side, choosing love, um, and that's the easiest way to pick this choice 
of love and everything goes perfectly, right? Uh, it would be pretty easy to see how that would have gone. But then we, we see this, um, and the angel goes, like, the stench envelops the world. And he goes, the angel turns in horror and proclaimed, what is it? The creator spoke, only one word, selfishness. The angel stood speechless as they passed through centuries of repugnance. Never had he seen such filth, rotten hearts, ruptured promises, forgotten loyalties, children of the creation wandering blindly in lonely labyrinths. This is the result of choice, the angel asked. Yes, they will forget you, yes. They will reject you, yes. They will never come back, some will, most won't. What will it take to make them listen? The creator walked on in time, further and further into the future until he stood by a tree, a tree that would be fashioned into a cradle. Even then, he could smell the hay that would surround him. With another step into the future, he paused before another tree. It stood alone, a stubborn ruler of a bald hill. The trunk was thick, and the wood was strong. Soon it would be cut, soon it would be trimmed, soon it would be mounted on the stony brow of another hill, and soon he would be hung on it. He felt the wood rub against a back he would not yet wear. Will you go down there? The angel asked. I will. Is there no other way? There is not. Wouldn't it be easier to not plant the seed? Wouldn't it be easier to not give the choice? It would, the creator spoke slowly. But to remove the choice is to remove the love. It's pretty wild. The creator uh, gave us... Uh, he, he created us in his image. He, uh, like the greatest gift that he gave us was choice. Um, and he created us in his image. Uh, he chose to give us choice. And that was, that was probably the most that he made us like uh, us. Like he created us, he chose to create us and he chose to give us choice. And, um, I think that's the, the most incredible thing. Um, and so I'm going to read just a little bit from, Isaiah 52 and 53, um, it starts in 52 in verse 13. It says, look, my servant will succeed. He will be elevated, lifted high, and greatly exalted. And, um, and I love verse, the first part of 13. It says, look, my servant will succeed. And, um, and that's where like, we get to choose if, uh, if we're going to follow him uh, and, and choose uh, the next couple things. But this is where a lot of people miss it. Um, in verse 2 of 53, it says, He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that, he, that we should want to follow him. And that's where those of us who know him uh, really have to step up our game and, and uh, introduce people to him um, instead of letting it just sit here uh, as, as a treasure to our own. Um, and so I'm going to read a little bit more, 10, 11, and 12, or 10 and 11. It says, Though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life, and the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. There's two words that um, I just kind of looked up to kind of make it a little bit easier. Uh, restitution is restoration, and acquit is free. 
So he restored uh, what God originally planned, and he acquit, he freed many. Um, so it's, one, it's easy to forget what we've been given uh, through the cross. And, uh, and so because he was basically like any of us, he had a job, and then he chose to go into ministry. He chose to go out and tell. Like God came down, and he was a carpenter. Uh, and then at one point, he he walked into his workshop, and he's like, you know, it's time to go tell people what God's come to do. It's time to go um, fulfill my purpose. And so then he started, and he went and got his 12 and uh, did what he came here to do. And then, um, and then like Max Cicero said uh, so beautifully, um, he went and felt the tree and... Um, so it's, uh, it's time to, uh, kind of find our purpose and how we're going to do it. We're, we still have to do our jobs, but, um, we could do it through our jobs. And so, um, I just want to challenge you. Um, so through this time of communion, I want you to, uh, just kind of seek through, uh, how we've been through restored and freed and see how we can help God restore and free people uh, through our work here. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for what you've done uh, through Jesus, Lord. And uh, as we come through to this time uh, of communion together, Lord, I just pray that um, we seek you, uh, we find uh, just peace, Lord, uh, in knowing that you have... Uh, restored us, freed us to do uh, the work that you've called us to do in our jobs. Um, help us to restore our family, our friends, uh, our co-workers, Lord, uh, to you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you play online word games? All right, Words with Friends. How many played Words with Friends? Okay, that's the big winner right now. 14 million worldwide play uh, Words with Friends. How many of you have bought into Wordle? All right, Wordle lights here. All right, some of you. Do you realize that thing only started in October of last year with 90 followers? Now it's over 5 million a month. And, of course, the ultimate word game, Wheel of Fortune, any wheelies here? All right. Eight million people. You've been on the show. Look at that. All of my sermons blown to pieces. No. I- <laughs> Cindy's been on the show. Okay, this is going to get really fun here in just a minute then. Um, uh, Wheel of Fortune. Eight million people watch it nightly. Okay? Uh, words matter. But what happens... No, but sometimes knowing the right word is painful, or not knowing the right word. Let's watch this and see what you think. Five hundred. Why? One Y. Oh, by a bell. Okay. An O. Two O's. A saw. Okay. Another feather in your hat. Christopher. Six fifty. G. No G. 
Thomas. Uh-oh, the bankrupt gotcha. Lori, you have another shot at it. You can spin the wheel or try to solve the puzzle. I'll solve. Okay. Another feather in your lap. No. Although the feather is moving around. <laughs> Christopher. Nine hundred. D. No. Thomas. Thomas, I think the wheel got... Laura, you have another opportunity here. You can spin the wheel. You can try to solve the puzzle. What do you want to do? Go ahead and spin if you don't know. I'm going to go ahead and yeah, spin. Yeah, don't get buzzed out here on time. Well, what letter would you like? A P? Yes, there's a P. <laughs> spin or solve? I will solve. Okay. Another feather in your map? Christopher, it's your turn. Oh, my goodness. The bankrupt got you. Thomas, you have no money. I don't know what you're going to spin. You're I'll, I'll spin. Okay. So what letter would you like? A C. Is there a C up there anywhere? There you go. You want to solve this? Yeah, I'll solve. Another feather in your cap. Yeah, there you go. Well, you have $500. We'll make it $1,000. Uh, that's our minimum per round. You have $7,050. Boy, this stuff happens. You get a word in your head, and then, of course, when you figure it out, you go, eh, what was I thinking? No. Anyway, it's fine. That round is over, but it was fun in a sort of perverse way. We'll be right back. <laughs> I know you did better than that, Cindy. Uh, it's just, there's no possible way we could do it. Was that as painful for y'all? To I, I was like, I'm hurting watching that. I think my favorite part was watching Vanna go. <sighs> and you could hear Pat trying not to make fun of these people. Are, are you dense? What's wrong with you? We're in this series called Road Trip. We're taking God with you. It, sometimes the words are right there on the tip of your tongue, right? But what happens if the words that you expect don't show up? We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 if you join us there, if you join us online or on the radio. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at a story that you're probably familiar with. It's one of the miracles of Jesus. It's probably one of the most familiar miracles. When you hear the story, you go, oh, I know this one. Okay, but don't tune it out. I want you to listen in. And I really want you to listen for a couple of things. I want you to listen for what is said. And I want you to listen for there's three characters or three groups in play in here. We're talking about taking the Lord with us when we go. Talking about him wherever we go, dealing and bringing him with us. Are we, are we talking about him? Are we sharing him, with, sharing him as we go? Mark chapter 2 and uh, we don't have Vanna White up here to turn the letters on the word, so tune in on the scripture. Mark chapter 2, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he's preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. 
They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now do we remember this one? Okay, we remember this story. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Okay, one of the first things I noticed is the where this happens. It happens in Capernaum, and I don't know that I'd ever noticed this. I kind of knew it, but Capernaum is a town. It's at the north side of the of the Sea of Galilee, and it was really kind of Jesus' base of operations. Now, we call him Jesus of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but most of his ministry comes from the area of Capernaum, the northern area of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it's said in there, he's coming, he had come home. They were, he was familiar there, which caused me to think, I wonder if Jesus knew the paralyzed guy or the four guys that carried him. It's entirely possible that he already knew them. He already knew the situation. Now, this is early in his ministry, and yes, the word has spread, and it's getting out that he does these kind of things, but why would it matter if he knew them? Let me put it this way. Would it be easy to ignore the words of somebody that you already knew? Now, we see in Scripture him say, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. We see that later on when Nazareth won't listen to him. But would it be possible to, for, would it be feasible for people to say, well, we know that guy. He's the carpenter's kid. It's not that big a deal. Wouldn't that be feasible? It's, it's easy to tune people out because they're familiar. And it's easy to not talk because they're familiar. Let's talk about how we talk about Jesus. Have you not talked about Jesus to someone because they're too familiar? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's co-worker. Maybe it's one of your best friends. And you say, well, Don, they know I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. Yeah, but have you talked to them? You hearing me? Because sometimes it just gets too casual. We're just like, oh, it's no big deal. I know him. I mean, Jesus had lots of friends because he was, he was friendly to people. He he chose to bring people into his friend group, but he kept talking to them. Like we talked last week, he touched a leper. He, he visited with people that were outside of his friend group, and that's how he made friends. Maybe there's a great lesson for us in there. Now, the roof is honestly sometimes the main character here. Sadly, we often identify with the roof more than we do the man. We, I've heard dozens of sermons about this where we talk about the how did he do that and did they pull the roof off or did they cut into it or, you know, and all the details about the roof and the mess and the vandalism that was there. But I, I thought that it was interesting that they wanted to get him to Jesus and they didn't really care what obstacles were in the way. 
We're going to get him to Jesus. In fact, they're going to let him down through the roof right in front of Jesus as if to say, you're not going to ignore this one. You know, you're not going to miss this guy. Uh, hi, Jesus, I'm paralyzed. How you doing? You know, it just oh, everything's falling all over him right there. They wanted to get to Jesus. They wanted to get this guy to Jesus. Friends, it reminds me we've got to meet people where they are, not where we want them to be. You hearing me? It's too easy to say, well, we go to church and we've opened the doors and anybody can come that wants to. Have we gone to them? God is calling us to take him on the road with us wherever we go, whether that's vacation or work, whether that's our our play groups or, or just our friend groups. But look at the scene closer. People are crammed into this house. There's a lot of people crammed into the house. Everybody hears. They're all hearing about his ministry. It's spreading. But you notice who was there? The teachers of the law, it says in verse 6. The Pharisees, scribes in some versions, it says, that would be the leaders. Now, why are they there? Why would these religious leaders be there? Is it because they want to learn from this new rabbi? Maybe, but more than likely, is it fair to say they were there to catch him? They were there to try to find something wrong with him. What is he doing? I bet that's more likely why they were there. They, they were all tuned up and ready to go, and, and I think they missed it. Now, before we go too far, the Pharisees, hear me out, started as a good idea. I've been chiefest of gripers at the Pharisees. There's no question about that. I get mad at them. They they bug Jesus, so they bug me. But Pharisees started out as a good idea. Pharisee means separated. They were people that looked at the law. We want to follow the law of God. We want to separate ourselves from the bad stuff. That's a fairly good idea, isn't it? It's It's a good idea when it started, but somewhere in there, it became all about performance rather than the person of Jesus. Somewhere in there, they started adding laws to the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was the law that God gave Moses, and they started adding rabbinical laws. Well, God wasn't really clear there, so we're going to add a bunch of other stuff to it. Hearing me? Now, Jesus never broke one single solitary Mosaic law. Never did it. He said, I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. But the rabbinical law, yeah, he he broke that a lot because it was all about do it right and look like us. It wasn't about God anymore. And before I blast them too much, I'm afraid there's a little Pharisee in all of us. I'm afraid too often I look in the mirror and I see a lot of Pharisee in me. Martin Luther said, religion is the default mode of the human heart. We want rules. We want regulations. We want something we can measure. Sadly, that's one of the struggles in church work and church growth is there's not many measurables. You know what we measure? We measure attendance. We measure giving. We we measure how many are at things and, and how many things are we doing. We measure those things, but we can't measure the growth in somebody's heart. And that's, that's an immeasurable. So somewhere down the line, religion comes up with a bunch of rules. How many times did you go to church? Where did you go to church? Did you do all of the good things the church people are supposed to be doing? And did you stay away from the bad things that the church people aren't supposed to do? Make sense? 
I mean, we, we've talked about it in the idea of worship wars. There's been worship wars. Everybody thinks that's happened in the last 30 or 40 years. Folks, that's been going on for hundreds of years, all right? I mean, when they first started the Psalms, they would chant them, and somebody came along and put tunes to it, and they thought they were liberal and radical and all kinds of crazy stuff. Back in the 70s, there was this couple called the Gaithers, and they were crazy radical. They started singing songs that weren't in the hymnal. I mean, how could you do that? It's just crazy. Now half of their songs are in our hymnal, and they're old. <laughs> do you know the songs that we sang today in 20 years? They're going to be, they're going to be the old ones. We're going to be one. Why don't we do them ones we did back in 22? You know, we're going to be that group. All right. You see, that just happens. That's our human nature, is to try to make it a rule. And every Pharisee just has a different set of rules. What matters to you may not be matter to me. Maybe how you brought, were brought up that this behavior wasn't bad or this one was. I mean, we can talk about dancing. We can talk about singing. We can talk about, I mean, anything, right? There are rules in there. But God's desire is that we would make the choice, as Dennis said, to choose him, to choose his road and to stand for him. But I think we see it really clearly here because the Pharisees were there. I think they were the ones that were on the front row. No offense to the front row. They were on the front row. They had their laptops open. They were looking for free Wi-Fi. They were trying to get ready to live blog about what this teacher is going to say, right? And they're going to tweet out all the bad things that he said. Man, they were ready. Okay, they had him on blast. They were ready to get there. And I don't think they were there to learn. They were there to critique I think they were oblivious to the fact that there were hurting people all around them. Do you realize that? I mean, they, they didn't get up and move to, oh, you know, I got the paralyzed guy. We should let him get on the front row. Don't you see what I'm saying? We, we should let somebody, hey, you know what? He's really hurting. I wonder if we should pray for him. We don't have any record of them doing any of that, do we? We only have them griping at Jesus. They don't even offer to get up and move. Question. Why are you here? Is it out of duty? Is it out of rules? Is it out of, I want to find out what they're doing there and tell everybody what's going on wrong over at Central? Friends, if your first thought is critique, perhaps your Pharisee is showing a little. You hear me? Because... I don't care if it's the music or the speaker or a book you see. You can find something wrong with just about anything, can't you? But you can usually get something good out of a song or a book or a speaker, too. You can usually find something good out of those. If you're coming to find something that's wrong with me or with Franklin, it's not going to be a real hard search, okay? I'm not that smart. You can figure out. I don't know a whole lot of stuff. We're not here for that. And you know what? There's no joy in that. It just takes all the joy out of it. Of, well, what if that book, you know, he talked in that book about that guy. And I, what does that matter? And here's the problem is they didn't even rejoice that the guy was walking. They, they completely missed the joy there. I think some of us have probably seen some of those religious people that miss the joy 
that miss the celebration? Well, it's blasphemy. Only God can forgive. They couch it in protecting. We've got to protect the, the goodness. You hearing me? We've got we to just keep the faith. We've got to stand up. And they couch it in that to protect the church. We've got to stand up for the church. But it really, it's really judgmentalism. And it's a, it's a place I don't want to be. You see, Jesus is always calling sinners to repent from sin and religious people to repent from religion. I think he's always done it. I think he always will do it. Are there any sinners in the room? Some of y'all are a little slow on the hand raising there. This is a hand raising church, all right? He is calling all of us sinners to repent. Sometimes we're kind of religious too, aren't we? He's calling us to repent, to change from that. It's funny to me that the sinners want to eat with him, but it's the religious people that want to kill him. Now, friends, I say that, and I'm, I'm, I'm torn right here. I, I say frequently, we're a Bible believing and a Bible, and I want us to be that. But if we're using this Bible as a weapon, we're not using it correctly. If we're using it to beat somebody down for their behavior or their lifestyle, I get it. God doesn't like some things. Yeah, you're right. You know what? God loves people, even people that sin. How did the Pharisees get that way? How did they get it so that I bash them every week? Why, why are they? I wonder, it started as a good idea. I wonder if maybe somewhere in there there was a little bit of pride that became a lot of bit of pride. You know, like, we've got the answers, you've got the question. We're the good guys, you're the bad guys. Let us tell you how to, you hear what I'm saying? That we, we start classifying people. I think they started as a good idea, and they got off on the wrong track. And they question if Jesus is good enough. Do you realize? That's what they asked. They didn't really claim blasphemy. I mean, that's what they called out. But they were questioning, is Jesus really good enough on their scale? That's what they were asking. <laughs> and he hears their thoughts. Shouldn't that have been a red flag to some of them? Shouldn't one of those guys with a laptop going, wait a minute, I was thinking that. Were you thinking that? I was thinking, he, he just said, oh, maybe we should hush and listen. A little. You know, surely somebody should have picked up on that. They should have listened a little more. But he read their minds. And, he, and it's as if he said, hey, any TV preacher can say, forgive your sins. That's easy because there's no proof to it. That's not that big a deal. They weren't really concerned with the healing. They didn't really care about the hurting. Friends, compassion is how we will make an impact on our community. It's, it is. And if you've been here the last two or three weeks, you've seen that slide. You've heard us talking about compassion. Don, this sounds like the last couple of weeks of sermon. Yep, probably going to sound like that a little bit more. Because I believe the way we treat people and the way we shine him into people is how we're going to make an impact on our community. Words matter. It's not our good enough scale. It's not our behavior is better than them. It's loving people. Now, the healings that Jesus gives are to a point. 
Now, we need to know this in Scripture. They are not party tricks. The healings were never, oh, look at what he can do. It's to point them to his authority. And I believe he did that then, and I believe he does it now. There are healings that happen even today. Amen? I believe that. Now, I will tell you, I don't. Uh, if you want to come up here, I'll gladly smack you in the head. I doubt it'll do much good, but uh, except give you a headache. But uh, I, I don't know. But I don't. I know that God has healing power. It's never been to show off His goodness. It's it's never to prove who has more faith or who deserves it more. It's to point us to our sin and His authority. He has the authority to heal. He has authority over sin. And the light that points us to sin, it's the light that heals us. It's the light that changes us. So Jesus gets up here, okay, boys, get your Twitter feed ready. You ready for this? I want to prove to you that I have authority. Jesus was never dared into anything. It wasn't like they made him show his power. He healed to prove his authority. He said, get up, take your mat, and go home. One commentator I saw said in the Greek, the way it's worded, the Greek wording is, is almost redundant. It says, start walking and keep on walking. As if to say, I don't want you to just feel better. I want you healed and I want you to live as a healed person. So get up, walk, and keep on walking. Did you know that currently... In the United States, as of Wednesday of this week, there are 33,506 board-certified surgeons in the United States. 33,000 people that are board uh, diplomats or diplomates or I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's, that's their title. 33,000 people that are licensed to cut you open for a number of things, all right? 33,000 people that have the authority to do that according to the United States. As of Wednesday of this week, there are 1,338,678 licensed attorneys at law in the United States. Insert joke here. Uh, you know, 1.3 million lawyers, 33,000 surgeons. I don't know. But 1.3 million people that can stand, that have, have been recognized by the government as, as an authority in the court of law to stand in your behalf. Do you realize that as of Wednesday of this week, there are currently 8,974 registered high school basketball referees? 9,000 basketball referees, 33,000 surgeons, 1.3 million lawyers. 9,000 basketball uh, referees, they are the authority to tell you if you played it correctly or not. You hearing me? All those have somewhat authority, but there is only one that is certified to forgive sins. Only one. And it's not you or me. His authority is unmatched. And we need to recognize his authority today. You go, okay, Don, I I get it. I'm in church. What's the big deal about that? I I like Jesus. I'm here. You're, You're preaching to the choir, are you? Listen. When guilt hounds you, when your conscience eats at you, when doubts erode your faith, when problems overwhelm you, friends, listen to me, Jesus is the authority to heal. 
And we need that. Because some of you are long-time believers, but still overwhelmed with doubt. And still pressured. And still dealing with anxiety and stress and, and worry and all of the things that are worrying and weighing us down in this world. And he says, I have the authority to heal that. This story shows up in, in, the, in Mark here and in Luke, Luke chapter 5. It says, so that you may know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. That's how he says it. I don't want you to just be impressed that this guy gets up and walks. I want you to know how much authority I have here. And that is a big deal. Now, I've overlooked one other character in this story, or in this case, four other characters. Jesus comes to town. He shows up at your connect group. Okay? Suddenly it's pretty full. Uh, and everybody wants to come to your connect group. Uh, you're moving it in here. Suddenly it's all packed. Everybody's, that's your guest speaker. And who's taking up all the good seats? The seminary grads. The ones that have little initials behind their names are all on the front. And they're wanting to, to gripe. But these four nameless guys. Do you realize how many of these stories that we're looking at in Jesus' life they're people that, that we don't even get to know their names. They're nameless people. You go, why does that matter? I think God put that in there to remind you and me that he loves us ordinary people too. You hearing me? Ordinary. He loves us regular people. But these four ordinary, plain old guys believed in all their heart that Jesus could make a difference. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. I'm not sure I approve of the godly vandalism. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's legal or not. But do you see the effort? Do you see that this took time? We've spent a lot of time, I've said before, sermons talking about the effort. Maybe it was a tile roof. Maybe it was a thatch roof. I don't know. And I don't really care. I just know that these guys saw Jesus, and we got to get him to Jesus, and nothing is going to stop us. Their faith was proved by their action. And you, did you see who, who really impacted the guy's health? Look real close. Look real close at verse 5. Uh, at verse 5 of Mark chapter 2. Seeing their faith. Whose faith? It's the friend's. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. Friends, how far will you go to get your friends to Jesus? It's a simple question. How far will we go? Are we intentionally, on purpose, pulling people to Jesus? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Because God has reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ. He has given us the ministry, not just people, all of us, the job of pointing people to Jesus. That's why we encourage relationships, connect groups, all the classes that we offer. We, we do this not to glorify us, but to glorify him. And we've talked the last couple of weeks uh, about this idea of sharing my faith. And if you're weak, that you can have part of my faith. And... Please understand, I can't save a single person. Do you hear that? It's not, that's you. You and Jesus. That's the only one that can save. I can stand with you and hold your arms up, and you can stand next to me and lift me up, and we can hang on to each other. I can't save another person, but I can lead them 
to the one that can. And that's the kind of friend that I want us to be. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's parents of your kids' friends. That y'all are always hanging out together because you're dropping kids off at the other house. Have you invited them? Well, yeah, Don, I invited them once. They didn't come. Well, invite them again. And then again. And then find other ways. Is there something that is holding that back? Is it a wall? Is it a feeling? Will we push through the obstacles? Surveys will tell us that evangelistic meetings, you know, the old tent meetings, Billy Graham crusades, things like that. I mean, we can spend hours talking about the effectiveness. They're they're not as effective anymore. But at their height of the Billy Graham crusades, the the stats would tell them 72% of the people that came forward, almost three out of every four that came forward were brought to that event by a friend. They didn't just stroll up there and, wow, this guy's a good preacher. No, some friend said, you've got to come with. Are we that kind of friend? Friends, if you are concerned about the state of our country, introduce your friends to Jesus. If you're concerned about the world that your kids are being handed, introduce them to Jesus. Because words matter. The gospel has always been verbal, it has always been oral, it has always been friend-driven and friend-given. You see, we don't need to worry about church growth. We need, we need to be people that pray and read and invite. Will we be those friends? I've seen you move mountains, God. Maybe it's a mountain between you and a friend. Maybe it's a, a family member. Maybe it's an emotional wall. Maybe, it, maybe it's some struggle you're having. And you want this, Jesus, but it's just too overwhelming. I've seen him move mountains. I believe he can do it today. I believe he can do it in your heart. I believe he can do it in your family. Will you talk? Will words matter? Let's pray. Father, move mountains. Whatever mountain is in, in the way today, maybe it's, maybe it's our own personal doubt. Maybe it's our sin. Maybe it's our past. But move it so that we can see you and we can bring others to you. May we be those kind of friends. Move the mountains that are in the way of us doing what you have designed us to do. It is through Jesus that we glory you, we praise you, and we pray to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.